listening to Hope Alive, your number one online Christian radio station. The time now is 58 minutes past six. We're ready for the second half of the show. We just played you Colin Maluleka, Grateful, and Mahalia Buchanan, You Fight For Me. I hope you enjoyed those two songs as we ended off the first half of the show. We're into the second half of the show and we're talking about women's health. I'm joined by an amazing lady who's going to do the conversation with me, Nomonde Makudu. Welcome to the Feminine Touch once again. How are you doing, ma'am? Good evening to you, to me, and to the listeners. I'm doing okay, and I'm very honored to be back here again. Oh, of course, and we are very, very grateful to have you. Please do join us. We're live on Facebook on Hope Alive Radio Station. We're also on Twitter on Hope Alive underscore radio. And if you want to send a voice note or a text message, the number is 067-153-1089. We're talking all things women's health in the second half of the show. Now, let's get straight into the interview. Um, Sister Monday, you are a trained midwife. And I mean, this topic of women's health, it's very close to your heart. Do you feel like y- it's what you're always talking about on a daily basis? Um, yeah, because I've spent a lot of years practicing as a midwife. Mm. And by ge- grace of God, this year I'm also teaching the subject. So Beautiful. Yeah. So now you are teaching people about midwifery, I believe it's called. Yes, it's midwifery. Midwifery. Okay, beautiful. Then, And what does one study in order to become a midwife? Okay, you need to have your basic qualification as a professional nurse. Mm-hmm. And the training um, always go hand in hand with being trained as a midwife. On the four years of your training, you spend part of it being trained as a midwife as well. So when you qualify to be a professional nurse, you also have a qualification as a midwife. Alternatively, you can do it um, as a standalone diploma. If you did a a, a separate degree, the three-year one, then Mm. you'd be able to just do a single year of training in, in midwifery. Okay. Now, earlier on, we were speaking about how children and conceiving and having a healthy baby, it's a miracle on its own. But we take it for granted because it happens so often. Yeah. A lot of people just don't think about it, actually, because I think we're getting so used to seeing people um, having children more than one, more than two. Mm. And we forget about the ones who are actually struggling to even conceive because... There is a lot of women out there who are struggling to conceive because of various reasons. Sure, sure. So that's why I said just having a normal, healthy pregnancy and delivering a baby who is healthy and having a healthy mom is a miracle. Absolutely. Now, as a midwife, I mean, a lot happens once you're about to deliver a baby. How do you keep yourself calm in all of those stages? It doesn't just happen, actually. It takes a lot of uh, experience and a lot of understanding of what you are about to do. And I think the important thing is to build the relationship with the woman you are about to assist while she's still in labor before she is even ready to deliver that baby. Because when you have that understanding and you have prepared her in terms of what she should expect, it becomes easy for you and for her to go through the process of childbirth. And I think as midwives, it is our responsibility not only to form this relationship during labor, but to do it whilst the woman is pregnant, even if it's not the same midwife who's going to deliver the woman, but then the mere fact that she is familiar with what is expected of her and what she is going to experience, it sort of calms them down and it helps them to to be able to to go through the, the normal labor. Beautiful. Now, how important are visits to the gynae and how often should women do them? Um, yeah, that's very crucial. Unfortunately, most of us, we only go to the gynecologist when there is a problem. Mm. And um, rightfully, the minute you become sexually active, you have to have your gynae visits. Mm. And one of the reasons why that needs to, to be done is because most of the challenges that are experienced by women might not have symptoms when they start. But if you go to a gynae and get your, your body examined and you get your regular pap smear checks, it can be easy for you to have diagnosis early so that you can be managed early 
Unfortunately, a lot of people, by the time they approach the medical person, they already have a serious problem or their problem has advanced or they have been having the same problem over and over again but keeping to themselves. Mm. So it's very, very important. And it has to be one of the things that you do in your annual calendar. It's not something Mm. that you can put away. Mm. It has to be done yearly. I was going to say, uh, and I like how you answered it, that you know there is a method. Only if someone is sexually active, they go to the gynae. So if you're not, you don't go. But you can also have conditions, even though you're not sexually active as well. Yes, there are conditions that can affect you before you are sexually active. Um, for an example, one of them, I think endometriosis, mm. it doesn't happen necessarily to people who are sexually active. It's a condition that affects the, the, the outside of the womb where it pretends to be the inside of the womb, the endometrium, which is the inside lining of the womb. And one of the things that will make you aware that you're having a problem is when you have heavy menstruation, when you have pain, and when your menstruation period takes longer than it's supposed to take, then you might be able to pick up that you have a problem. So basically what I'm saying don't overlook anything that you see that is not, it's outside of the normal mm. and say, ah, it's going to pass, it's going to pass. It's mm. better to get it checked and have know what you are dealing with because if you don't know what you're dealing with, you'll find yourself now complicating on something that could have been attended to earlier. Mm, 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 mm. Nicely said. So we're talking about women's health in the second half of the show. If you have any questions or comments, do engage with us on Facebook. We're live on Facebook on Hope Alive Radio Station. Our Twitter handle is Hope Alive underscore radio. And if you want to send us a WhatsApp voice note or a text message, it's 067-153-1089. Let's talk about um, PCOS. So that's a, a condition that affects women. What is PCOS? It's called polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the reason why it's called a syndrome it is because it presents itself in different ways. It's, it might be difficult to diagnose because the symptoms are not specific um, so with polycystic uh, ovarian cyst syndrome, you find that there is growth of cysts that are attached to the ovaries. And the main cause for it is not known, but in most cases, um, what happens there, there is hormonal imbalances where you find that now this woman has got an increased level of androgens. Androgens are nothing other than the growth hormones that are usually high on males and very less on women. So um, issues of obesity, when you're gaining a lot of weight, might increase those chances. And what you will see when you have these cysts is that other than you gaining weight, you might find that now you develop hair where you use not to have hair. It's like um, you're reaching puberty even if you're an adult, but if you're a woman, now all of a sudden you have hair under your chin, you get acne, your mood is usually very, very low. Um, so it's like you fall more into depression. Your menstrual cycle becomes irregular. It can, it can be anything. It could be irregular. It could be heavy menstruation. You might end up not having menstruation at all. And it's usually related to how your body synthesizes the food that you are eating because there is usually a, an increase in in insulin intake, in insulin production. So which means whatever food that you're eating, your body processes it so fast and then your body absorbs it and before you know it, you're gaining so much weight. So it's called a syndrome because um, you might think that you have diabetes. Sometimes you find that your sugar levels are, are, are very low or very high. You might think that you have high blood pressure because the presence of those growth hormones, they affect your blood vessels, they thin the blood vessels, and your blood pressure goes high. So the reason why it's called the syndrome is because it presents itself as different um, Mm -hmm. conditions. Sometimes other people think that they have a problem with their thyroid. Remember, your thyroid gland is responsible for making sure that your metabolism is okay. So when you have hyperthyroidism or hypothyroidism, you find that your metabolism is affected 
and then instead of synthesizing the food correctly, you find that you store a lot of the food that you're supposed to be using and you gain weight. So basically it's affecting your ovaries, but it presents itself in different ways. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And is there anything that somebody can do to prevent PCOS? Um, yeah, not necessarily. I mean, like most of these uh, women's health-related conditions, they are risk factors. They, 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 the risk factors, they basically say they're increasing the chance of you getting them, but there's nothing you might specifically do to prevent them. And healthy diet is, is one of them. Making sure that you do your regular checks is one of them so that you can exclude any changes in your blood sugar levels, any changes in your blood pressure levels so that you, you, you can get the direct diagnosis. Mm. Well, thank you for that. And in terms of treatment, do you know what kind of treatment you would use for PCOS? So usually they would concentrate on treating the symptoms. Okay. So if the symptom is elevated blood pressure, obviously you will be given medication to control the blood pressure. If the symptom is your um, abnormal blood sugar levels, you'll be put on medication for people who've got diabetes. But the main important thing is to control your diet, decrease um, the number of carbohydrates that you're taking, have more protein intake, Avoid a lot of red meat that is fit. So basically what you're trying to do is trying to control the weight gain. Mm. And in controlling the weight gain, in most cases, you'll find that then the hormones that were imbalanced, they start balancing. And you'll find that the, 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 the condition becomes better. So because there's presence of cysts in the ovaries, obviously there's usually pain and um, that pain will have to be to be treated as well. So you'll have to be put on on medication for pain, as well as hormonal treatment, so that your your menstrual cycle can go back to to normal. Mm, mm, thank you, thank you so much for giving us that information. Now earlier on, you were speaking about endometriosis, and um, perhaps you can just touch on what are the symptoms. You said something that's not normal, but if we're looking at endometriosis specifically, what can somebody look out for that would prompt them to say, get this checked out? Okay, so usually. People who get endometriosis, they will have severe, severe menstrual pain. So um, there's most women do get menstrual pain, but when you have endometriosis, your pain will be excruciating. It will be unbearable. And usually with endometriosis, you'll find that the number of your cycle days become more than usual. So it's either you bleed more days or you bleed heavier than you use you used to. And then you'll also find that during the, 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 the menstrual period you have symptoms that are related to your stomach, like you feel bloated, you feel nauseous, um, you might end up with severe diarrhea. And sometimes we can have a feeling like you're having a full bladder. So the, the, the endometriosis, it's just an inflammation that happens on the outer layer of the, of the womb. You know, the womb has got three layers. The inside layer, we call it endometrium. And then the medium layer is myometrium. And the one that is covering the womb, which is pinkish, it's also covering the fallopian tubes, is the perimetrium. So now what happens, that outer layer mimics the inner layer. Um, if we still remember those who did their biology, we used to call it that back in my day. I think you call it natural sciences now. They are uh, the younger um, a generation. So basically your body prepares for conception every 28 days. And your inside layer, which is the endometrium, will then be more vascular and spongy and be ready to receive the baby. But now with endometriosis, that preparation happens on the outer layer. So remember with your normal menstrual cycle, when you do not conceive, that inner layer, which is the endometrium, will shed and that will be your menstruation. But with endometriosis, because it's happening on the outer layer, this formed layer doesn't have a way of escaping because remember mm. there is no 
um, cervix that is leading to the vagina for that blood to, to come out. Mm. So now it's like you keep scarring the uterus on the outside. Oh, no. And because the uterus is becoming scarred and more scarred, mm. it becomes rigid. And that rigidity is the one that causes a lot of pain oh because gee. your uterus now becomes attached. They call it adhesions. It adheres to your bladder. It mm. adheres to your, your peritoneum, which is the coverage of your stomach. Mm. And it makes the uterus rigid. It makes the fallopian tubes rigid, which is why a lot of um, women with endometriosis end up finding it difficult to fall pregnant mm. because then there is rigidity of the fallopian tubes. So when that ovum that is ready to be fertilized, it doesn't travel well because the fallopian tubes are, are rigid and blocked. Sure. Uh, uh, thank you so much for that. Really, really good explanation there. Now, to somebody listening, you said look out for something that's not normal. That's how you'd be able to check that there could be endometriosis and also the pain. I mean, if you aren't able to have a proper menstruation, that might also be painful. Would there also be a, a hardening of the stomach? Would that also happen? I think that's what they call bloating. So okay. your stomach will feel like it's full. Mm. You know, mm. so when your stomach feels like it's full, it's, you, I mean, during menstruation, we all feel bloated, but then with endometriosis, this will be exaggerated. It will be such a bad discomfort, and that discomfort will be accompanied by heavy menstruation, um, severe period pain, prolonged um, cycle. Well, there you have it. We are talking about women's health right now. We've been touching on endometriosis. So you can see what are the things to look out for in order to get yourself checked out. Um, with Namonde Makudu, who's a midwife and as well as a lecturer, and we are talking about women's health on the Feminine Touch tonight. Um, we're on Facebook on Hope Alive Radio Station. If you'd like to share a comment or a text, if you want to share a voice note or a WhatsApp message, the number is 067-153-1089. You can also send us a message on Twitter at uh, Hopalive underscore radio. I want to read some messages here. Thanks Mbumi and your guest Nomonde Makudu for this session. An excellent awareness informative session and Nomonde is very passionate about midwifery and women's health. Thank you. Thank you to you for connecting with us as well. Basi Lomo says she also had endometriosis and luckily it was discovered during a mastectomy. So during a mastectomy you can also find other conditions like what Basi went through. Yes, yes. That is why I'm saying regular checkups are, are really helpful. Sure. Because when when they do your checkup, sometimes they will also do um, a sonography and mm. they are able to see the changes that are happening on the outer layer of, of the uterus. Absolutely. I have uh, another question here, Tepo Malebane, and he says, Greetings, Mrs. Guna and Mrs. Makuru. Gynecologists seem to be efficient in the public health care. Are there any effective gynecologists in public health care system, and how would disadvantaged women access these facilities? I think he meant that they are efficient in private health care. Um, how can public health care gynecologists assist women who are disadvantaged in these facilities? In my experience, maybe because I worked a lot in public, I would say there is a lot of very good um, gynecologists in, in, in the public sector as well. Mm. The only challenge is that if you are not referred early, you might find that by the time you go, there, there isn't much that can be done. Um, with issues of, of uh, women's health, you will find that when you go to most tertiary institutions, I don't want to call hospitals by name, but most tertiary institutions, they have independent gynecology departments where you will be assessed. And what I like with public institutions is that if one practitioner is not sure about what they are seeing, they have an opportunity to call their consultant or somebody senior for a second opinion. And that is usually done with less cost, if at all. So... Um, I think the challenge is the referral system. You find that there is a delay in how people are referred to to, to these institutions. Mm. 
Thank you. Basi Lomo says, that sounds scary. I think she was referring to your explanation of endometriosis. And Rafile Wabonolo says, the pain is unbelievable. I think she's also referring to endometriosis. We really feel for what women are going through. I mean, we're saying earlier on that the womb is such a small organ, but there's so many things that are really affecting women in that area, which are also painful as well. And it's the little things that we need to take care of as women. True, that's so true. Now, what kind of treatment would one use if they are going through endometriosis? Okay, um, symptomatic treatment will, will help in terms of managing the pain. Secondly, managing the, the menstruation. Um, usually, hormonal treatment in form of um, contraceptives usually helps because what it does, it sort of balances the hormones. And um, there is some research that shows that there is a, for a way of helping in terms of the surgery that can be done using a laparoscopy to clean and to scrape that outside of, of the womb that has hardened so that it reduces the pain. But usually that is done by specialists. It cannot be done by any other person. So if you have a specialist in, in infertility, then they are, those are the people that usually um, assist with that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Now let's talk about another condition that um, women go th will suffer from at times, fibroids. What are fibroids? Okay. Fibroids are nothing other than abnormal growth that happens in the very same womb. So there's a lot that can happen with your uterus. And fibroids can happen in any other layer of the uterus that I mentioned. So in most cases, you'll find them in the middle layer, the one that we call the myometrium. It's thicker than the rest of, of, of the other layers because the endometrium is, is very, very thin. And it's in the inside there. And then the, the myometrium is the muscle part of the uterus. And because uh, fibroids thrive on progesterone and oestrogen, these are the hormones that usually help us prepare for pregnancy and maintain the pregnancy itself. So research shows that in the myometrium, there's high, high levels of these um, hormones. And because of these high levels of hormones, there are certain people whose myometrium just decides to multiply them, normally call it proliferation. So it sort of grows abnormal cells. And fibroids differ in size. They differ in where they are embedded. They differ on how they affect women. Most women will not even know that they have the fibroids sure. until they maybe go for a regular checkup unless the fibroid has gone so big that it's visible in terms of how your 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 abdomen grows it it looks like you are pregnant and yet you are not but it's usually asymptomatic and a lot of people walk around not knowing that they have fibroids until maybe they fall pregnant and they do a sauna and in the sauna they discover that there is presence of fibroids or they struggle to fall pregnant and they go for a full examination and then they discover that they have fibroids. So depending on the size, depending on the location, they will differ in terms of symptoms. So if a fibroid happens very close, like in the lower part of, of, of your womb, then it will press on your bladder. You'll find that every now and then you feel like you have to go and empty your bladder even if it's not that full. And sometimes some fibroids, they grow bigger, some they shrink depending on, on the hormonal um, uh, levels of, 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 of that woman. So the interesting thing with fibroids is that um, if you have menopause and you never had fibroids, chances of you getting them are close to none because they thrive on progesterone and oestrogen. Remember when you've menopause, those hormones are, uh, level, hormonal levels are very, very low. So um, you'll find that if you never had fibroids between the ages of 20 and maybe 50, you might not develop fibroids when you are older and you have stopped um, seeing your periods. Thank you. So if you, you haven't developed them, you won't develop them in future. But if you have developed fibroids, um, how do you manage them? Um, yeah. Like I said, it depends on the size. 
if they are not affecting, um, they're not closing the mouth of the womb, you can continue with life mm. and you can even conceive with them there. Mm. The only challenge is that a lot of women that have fibroids, you'll find that the, the positioning of the baby might be altered depending on where the fibroid is because part of the uterus has been distorted by the presence of, of the fibroid. Mm. They um, are also hormonal medication that can be given to women mm. and there are also surgeries that can be done um, using a laparoscope. You, you don't have to actually um, open up the full abdomen but then you can... The doctors use a camera to go into the womb to see where the fibroid is and what they normally do. They do what we call embolization where they cut the blood supply to mm. to the fibroid so that the fibroid can shrink. So once the fi fibroid shrinks, you'll find that there, there won't be any problems anymore. Mm. So in some cases, for women who develop fibroids and maybe they have, they are not attempting to fall pregnant or they have had children and they no longer want to have children, um, then they can do what we call hysterectomy where the entire womb is removed. Okay. And uh, how long does one heal from a hysterectomy? Because it's a major surgery, it takes about six weeks. So you will be given six weeks of um, sick leave so that you can recuperate. Okay. All right. Well, there you have it. We're talking fibroids, women's health, PCOS, endometriosis. I'm here with midwife Nomon Demakudu. She's also a lecturer, and we're laboring on women's health together for the next hour. Um, if you have any questions or comments, do engage with us on Facebook on Hope Alive Radio Station. Our Twitter handle is Hope Alive underscore radio. And if you'd like to send us a WhatsApp voice note or a text message, you can send it to 067-153-1089. Now, another term on women's health dealing with the womb, that we hear women saying they've got cysts in their ovaries. Please unpack what are cysts in the ovaries um, for us as well, please. Cysts in the ovary is like a growth. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a cyst can just be a, a growth that looks like a small grape. Mm -hmm. It can be air-filled or fluid-filled. Or in most cases, if it's Air-filled, it will just shrink and disappear on its own. Mm -hmm. If it's fluid-filled, sometimes it would grow or sometimes it would remain the same size. Mm -hmm. So cysts are just abnormal growth that can happen on, in, in, in on top of an ovary. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the mo if, if you listened to what we've been discussing, the hormones are the ones that sort of bring mm. about all these these conditions. Mm. So when there is imbalance in the hormones, when there's too much progesterone, too much oestrogen, you find that those things happen. So the hormonal imbalance is responsible for, for those cysts. And sometimes you find that it's just the presence of infection. Mm. And when there is presence of infection, once that infection is treated, then the cyst will, will shrink on its own. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, th thank you for clarifying that. Now, we're dealing a lot with the womb. Um, perhaps you would want to explain to us, you know, cervical cancer, what happens there, how can women prevent cervical cancer? Okay. Um, before I talk about cervical cancer, I think, um, let me just say, no woman must ever feel condemned or mm -hmm. that they caused it or they brought into themselves. Mm. Because some of the things that I'm going to mention here, they might make you feel that um, I brought it to myself. Sure. So um, cervical cancer is, is uh, nothing other than the cancer of the mouth of the womb. The mouth mm. of the womb is called the cervix. Mm. So when there is abnormal cells in the cervix, then um, usually those abnormal cells come as a result of the human papilloma virus, and um, that virus is the one that causes the growth of abnormal cells in 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 the in the in the mouth of the cervix. A lot of people that get cervical cancer is people who have conditions like HIV. Reason being that um, HIV opens a lot of opportunistic infections. So patients that have got HIV 
and they have a very low viral load, they become prone to infections. Secondly, if you get sexually transmitted infections and you do not treat them, it might increase your chances of getting um, cervical cancer. Um, research also shows that women that start being sexually active at an early age with different partners, it increases the chance because remember the semen that is um, attaching into your cervix can change the way your normal cells are and you can end up developing abnormal um, cells. So the easiest thing to do is to make sure that you get diagnosed early, which is why we talked about doing your pap smear without fail. So when they do the pap smear, they just take a sample of the tissue and the fluid from the mouth of your womb, which is your cervix, and they check it for, for any form of infection. So if there's any form of infection, there's any form of abnormal cell growth, then your gynecologist will let you know that I picked infection and then you will be treated for it. Or I've picked abnormal cells and then immediate treatment can be done. So once the abnormal cells have been picked, then they will take a piece of the cervix, they call it a biopsy, and they go and confirm if the abnormal growth that they saw there, is it cancerous or non-cancerous. Mm. I, I don't know if I've given enough information. So, so amazing. Uh, I feel like I'm being taught and I understand. Thank you so much for explaining it to us in a level that we could really get it. I want to read you one of the comments from one of our listeners. Rita Maboko says, lovely to hear such information on radio. And she's clapping her hands to you no more. So thank you, Rita, for thank tuning you, Rita. in. Thank you, Rita. She's my colleague. Is it? Wow, yes. beautiful. I'm happy that she's supporting you. Now, I mean... You, you, we're speaking about women's health. What do you think, uh, other than the fact that we can have our regular checkups, in terms of building an awareness, you spoke about no woman should feel the stigma. How do we remove the stigma from women feeling as though this is my fault, I've brought this on myself? How do we do better in that regard? I think the important thing is to empower the people that work with women mm -hmm. more than anything else. Because if you were to listen to some of the comments that we make. Um, I'm mm -hmm. speaking as a professional and mm -hmm. I don't want to point fingers at other people mm -hmm. because sometimes the comments that we make can make people shy away from coming and getting help. So if you view each and every person that come, not just as any other number, you look at them, maybe you see your younger sister in them or you see your child or your daughter in them or you see your mom in them, then you will be able to treat them with dignity. Mm -hmm. Because I think that a lot of women shy away from getting help because they are not treated with, with dignity. They might be blamed for their behavior, and they might, be, they might feel, I mean, if it's women-related issues, you have to be examined in the most private part of your body. Mm. And... It takes courage to be able to approach any health care mm. and say, I need assistance on this. Mm. So I think what we need to do as form of destigmatizing in any diagnosis that relates to, to um, the woman's health is to make sure that we have institutions that treat our women with dignity and institutions that have privacy. Privacy meaning... When I am busy examining you, it should be me and you because it allows you to be open and to talk freely about what is affecting you. A lot of people, they know what the problem is, but they cannot talk openly because you find that in the environment where they are treated, there is no privacy. Mm. And in some cases, even the way that we label our clinics can make other people shy away because all of a sudden everybody knows that a person who walks through that door, they have cervical cancer mm. or they have breast cancer mm. or they have STI. Mm. So maybe if we can give a term that is umbrella, mm. for an example, we just call it a woman's health clinic. Mm. Everyone who walks in there, if you're a woman, no one knows what exactly are you doing there. Mm. So I feel that the, the, the way the health care is being delivered Mm -hmm. It's up to us as professionals to make sure that we treat our people with dignity mm 
that we address these issues in a non-judgmental way, mm. that we make sure that we educate our society because unfortunately not a lot of people even know that they are supposed to even do their own physical examination to see okay. what is happening in their bodies. And and maybe talk to us about what kind of physical examination people can do at home just to check before they even go to the doctors. I mean, as women, we know that we need to do our routine breast examination. Mm -hmm. And when you do your routine bre breast examination, it's advisable that you do it at least seven days after your period mm -hmm. because at that time your body has sort of recuperated from the high levels of hormones during menstruation. Secondly, make sure that you check the discharge that is coming out of your private part. Mm -hmm. It's normal to have a normal whitish, non-offensive discharge. Mm. Whatever discharge that comes out, it must not be smelly. Mm. Secondly, it must not be itchy. Mm. Thirdly, it must not be a funny color. So the minute it's smelly, is of a funny color, it's making you itchy, you have to make sure that you go and consult. Mm. Any change in your menstrual cycle, note it. Mm -hmm. It's good to keep a diary, mm -hmm. a diary that tells you that, okay, um, my period started on such and such a day and it ended on such and such a day, so that you get used to how your cycle unfolds, the number of days, the heaviness, because some people will find that they go for three days, but their, their period is not as heavy on the third day. But now if all of a sudden your menstrual period changes, um, you're moving from three days to seven days, and on all those seven days it's heavy, then you should be able to say there is a problem there. Mm. Okay, mm. So it's not just only... Um, what you observe, as well as what you notice in terms of keeping a calendar on what is happening with your body. Mm, mm. Uh, lovely stuff there. Nomonde Makudu, midwife and lecturer, who's talking to us about uh, women's health right here on The Feminine Touch. I want to read some comments. Zandile Motletleng says, uh, thank you for the important information. Tandeka TDK Mabasa says, this is so informative. Thank you for sharing. And Basi Lomo says, the sad part is that private hospitals and specialists charge an arm and a leg. Is that correct? That is so true. Mm. They are specialists on their field. Mm. And unfortunately, there is a lot of litigations that happen around uh, people who are dealing with um, obstetrics and gynae. And part of them having to cover themselves is to make sure that they have indemnity should a case arise against them. So that is why that you find that the charges in the private are very, very, very high. Mm. Um, okay. Now... There is this myth that women gynecologists are better than male gynecologists. Have you heard about it? What's your take on that? Oh, wow. I think <laughs> I'm the wrong person to answer this question because I feel that I'm a little bit biased. Mm, mm. Um, I think now let me remove my bias and speak for, from my experience. Mm -hmm. I feel that both male and female gynecologists can be as good. Mm-hmm depending on their passion for what they do. Mm. Um, I've worked with both male and female gynecologists, and I've seen the best of the best on both sides. And I think the reason why people feel that maybe female gynecologists are better is because they feel they relate to what is happening to them. But I know that there are very good male gynecologists out there as well. And... Um, I think we shy away from going to them because of the obvious reasons. <laughs> <laughs> so so really, it's all about the passion. It's not about whether it's a male or female. Mm -hmm. So long as the person is treating you with dignity, what you said earlier True. on, and also the passion that they have for their job, I think that's going to be key. I have another um, comment here, and they're saying, thanks, Nomonde, for raising the issue of respect and dignity instead of being judgmental and doing victim blaming. Well done. This is from Maud Shabalala. You know what? Thank you so much, yes. Thank you so much, Dr. T, for that comment. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, Dr. T. And I, I absolutely agree, you know, treating somebody with dignity, I believe there is also ethics in medicine. Definitely. Let me, let's talk about what are those ethical boundaries that should happen so people know when I'm not being treated right and when I'm being treated right. Um, I think for, for starters, it's important for people who are seeking the health, number one, to know their rights. Mm-hmm. 
Because when you know your rights, you are able to say now, my right has been in, infringed here. Mm-hmm. Um, as a person who's seeking for help, you need to know who is treating you. Mm-hmm. So I cannot just barge in. You don't even know whether I'm a nurse, I'm a doctor, mm. I'm a radiographer. Who am I? Mm. Secondly, what is it that I need to do with you? Mm-hmm. Why do I have to do that? Mm-hmm. So each and every patient has got a right to know who is treating them. Mm-hmm. They have a right to know why the procedure is being done. Mm-hmm. What are the complications to that procedure? Mm-hmm. What is an alternative if you're not doing this procedure, what is the possible alternative? Mm. You have a right to go and seek a second opinion. It is within your right to say, I'm not taking this treatment today. Can I go and find out from someone else? Mm. Mm. And mm. usually the second opinion can also happen in the very same institution mm-hmm. where you find that now you're being attended to by a different practitioner. Mm. Then you are able to raise questions Secondly, or I don't know if you know it's secondly. It is third. Thirdly, every patient has got a right to be involved in their care. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, what we do as practitioners, by virtue of you coming, we take it as if you've given us consent to do as we please with you. Mm. And we impose treatment with you without discussing it with you. Sure. And it is important to sit you down and say, this is what is happening. This is what the diagnosis is. This is the possible treatment. What is your take on it? Mm. So that's when we do that, we are respecting your autonomy. Mm. We are saying you're able to think for yourself. You're able to make decisions for yourself. Mm. And Mm. another thing is to make sure that whatever treatment that we give to you, it is for your benefit. Mm. That is called beneficence. Mm -hmm. If it's not for the patient's benefit, we cannot continue with it. Mm. Another thing, we have to make sure that whatever treatment we're giving to you doesn't cause harm to you. Mm. So if it's not, if it's causing harm to you, then it means that it's not ethical at all. And we have to treat our patients with fairness and justice. Mm -hmm. We cannot look at a different patient and give preference to this patient over the other. That is completely different from prioritizing emergencies. So you will find that there is one person who might die if not attended immediately. Mm. So that, that is acceptable. But if patients are on the same level, they need the same level of care. Mm. I cannot pick and choose and say, mm. because I know you, or because you look more affluent, or mm. because you're outspoken, or because of your age, your race, your color. We are not supposed to treat people based on those things. And last but not least, every practitioner has has what we call a scope of practice. So as part of ethics, you need to practice within your scope. If you feel that whatever you are diagnosing is something that you cannot treat, you are at liberty to refer. You are in fact required to refer. That is why each and every practitioner, practitioner, they know what it is they can do. They know what it is that they cannot do. Absolutely. There you have it. Those are your rights. Make sure that you exercise them. You know you practice your autonomy, the medication, and the services of your benefits. So nicely put. Thank you so much. This no wonder. I want to read some more comments that have come through. Ndom Figi says, thank you so much for the valuable information. No more Basi Lomo says she still prefers male. Her gani is a male. And um, we have a question here from Anatasia and she says she had fibrosis removed last year May um, I usually have very heavy flow with clots and that lasts about seven days or so the doctor said after the operation it would be better however this has not changed what advice would you want to give her she's had the operation she's still having the heavy flow and the clots what can she do now I think the best way is always having to go back to the person that treated you because um, I feel that it's pointless to move on to the next practitioner without um, finding out what is happening. Mm. Remember, fibroids grow back. Mm. That's one of the things I forgot to mention. Mm -hmm. As long as there is a uterus, there is a womb, there's a high possibility that they will grow back. Mm -hmm. And when they grow back, the symptoms might still remain. Mm. So uh, there could be a possibility that they were removed, of course, but they have grown back. So I would advise her to go back to the person who actually treated them so that they can see what is happening. Mm, mm, 
All right, I hope that you've been assisted there with your question, Ms. Muronga. Okay, now we spoke a lot about, you know, the womb, the women's health in that area. Before I let you go, perhaps we just touch on women's health when it comes to the breast, um, in terms of breast examination, uh, breast cancer awareness. If you can just you know, quickly give our listeners just a um, brief overview of how they can also practice women's health there. Okay. Um, breast is one of the things that we must not be afraid to look at, mm-hmm. to fill, to touch, because there is no way you will be able to diagnose anything if you do not look at them. Mm-hmm. So it's always advisable that when you're going to do your breast examination, you get to know your breast. Mm-hmm. The only way you can know your breast is if you look at them. So it's always nice to stand in front of the mirror without a top on so that you can look at the size of your breast. For most people, the breasts are not the same size. You'll find that there is one that looks a little bit bigger than than the other. Mm-hmm. That is normal. Mm-hmm. Secondly, you need to look at how the area around your nipple, we call it an areola, that blackish-pinkish part, depending on your your pigmentation, Look at it. Is it normal? Is it a normal skin? It's not peeling. It doesn't have any bleeding coming out or pus or discharge coming out. And then after you have done that, you have to press your nipple a little bit. If you're not pregnant, we don't expect anything to be coming out there. If you're not breastfeeding, we don't expect anything to be coming out. When you're breastfeeding, it should be milk. If there is blood, if there is any form of discharge that is coming out, then you need to get it checked. In some cases, around your period, you might find that there's a little bit of watery substance that comes out that is normal. And another important thing, around your areola, there's those small, pimplish-looking things. Don't scratch them out. Those are normal uh, glands that keep your areola um, sort of lubricated so that it doesn't crack. So don't try to pop them or poke them or do on anything on them. They are okay right there because they are keeping your areola in a normal state. Mm. Now, in order for you to examine your breast, you can do it standing, you can do it lying down. But the important thing is that your other arm for the breast that you're examining must be above your head or behind your head if you are lying down. This allows you enough space for you to be able to fill the full breast, including the underarm. So you need to divide your breast into four quadrants. So I'll call it north, south, east, and west. Mm -hmm. And you run your fingers around each quarter to fill if there is no growth. So the reason why we advise that you must do your breast examination seven days or 14 days after you've menstruated is because Sometimes during menstruation, the consistency of your breast changes because of the levels of the hormones. So you might feel things that um, feel abnormal, but if it's a growth, you'll be able to feel it. When there is a growth, it's usually harder than the breast tissue. It usually feels movable, and at, at some, so in some cases, it could feel a little bit uncomfortable, like sort of painful to touch. So once you have examined all the four quadrants of your breast, you need to go closer to your underarm, what we call the armpit, and run your fingers there in a circular motion as well Mm. to feel for any swelling. Mm. Because when there is any form of growth or infection, the glands that are underneath your armpit, they usually swell. So if you feel any swollen glands there, then you have to get yourself checked. Mm-hmm. and repeat the process on the under other breast. And it's always advisable to do it regularly because you don't know at what stage will um, an abnormal tissue grow. Mm-hmm. So regularly means after every menstrual cycle, you have mm-hmm. to do it. If you're not menstruating anymore or if you've had your uterus removed, you have to mark it as a date and do it on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And mammograms, how often should we do those? What are those? A mammogram is some form of a deep x-ray that is done on the breast. 
any other woman who's 40 years and above is advised to definitely start having mammograms on an annual basis. And um, a lot of people say they're painful. The unfortunate thing for people with smaller breasts, it could really feel painful because they have to try and put those um, the breast tissue between the two plates that are going to take an image. Basically, a, a, a mammogram is taking an image of the inner part of your breast so that they can be able to pick any abnormal growth that could be happening there. So mammograms and pap smears are compulsory to be done on an annual basis. So if you are 40 years and above, it's advisable to start doing them. If you haven't done it, I advise that you set an appointment and get one done as soon as possible. And where could people uh, find them? At the hospital? Most tertiary hospitals have them. Mm -hmm. uh, where there is um, gynecology clinics, they normally have them. And in some hospitals during the month of uh, breast cancer in October, they normally do drives for, for the staff, even for the public, to do their mammograms for free. Mm -hmm. Other, otherwise, you can go to any private institution and find the radiology department and book a mammogram there. Mm -hmm. And medical, most medical aids cover the, the payment for mammograms. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much clarifying uh, women's health and we're dealing with the area of breast there. Anastasia also Anastasia, sorry, um, said thank you. You answered her question on the fibroids uh, very well, so thank you so much for that. Now, before we let you go, maybe last words that you want to just share with women on women's health, what would you want to say to the women that are listening to the show? Okay, to all the women that are listening to the show, um, one thing I would say is embrace yourself, Love the cell, yourself the way you are. Your worth does not depend on you not having any problem. Your worth does not depend on the number of children you've given birth to. Mm. Your worth does not depend on any other person seeing you as beautiful. According to my Bible in the book of Psalms, 139 verse 14 says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God's work is wonderful. So, Look at yourself with those eyes that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Absolutely beautiful. I love that. Um, I have some two questions here that I don't want to leave you for without answering. Uh, thanks, Nomonde, for sharing your wisdom. That's Megan from Randberg. And um, Basi Beloy says, do I have to have a mammogram if I'm uh, immunocompromised and below 40? It's usually not necessary to have a mammogram when you are younger than 40. I think the breast examination on its own is, is adequate enough for you to pick any challenges. Okay. I hope you've been answered there, Wes Maloy. Thank you so much for connecting with us, ladies. Nomonde Makuru, midwife as well as lecturer who is sharing with us on women's health. I trust that you've enjoyed the show that we've had tonight on The Feminine Touch. As always, we try and make sure that we give you a balance of talk radio, informative and exclusive interviews right here. You are listening to Hope Alive. Streaming live from Hope Restoration Ministries, Kempton Park, South Africa.